And so Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, reads as follows. I urge you, therefore, even I, a prisoner for the Lord, to walk worthily of the calling with which you were called, with all humility and meekness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, and being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, and one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in you all. But to each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Paul has a lot to say in his New Testament epistles about this idea of grace. And we speak of grace in many different ways, in many different capacities. We have a variety of explanations of what grace is. We've, we've all certainly heard that grace is the unmerited favor of God. You've uh, perhaps heard me say before that great, the grace of God is his life and power extended to us. Grace is, is a concept in the New Testament. And when Paul speaks of grace and when the other writers in the New Testament speak of grace, they are speaking of God's drawing of man, which we looked at last week as we considered uh, life in the Spirit. They speak of God as drawing us through His grace. They speak of God's activity in our behalf, which is really what Grace is, in a nutshell, it is God's activity in our lives. Too often we and we think of the New Testament as being focused on grace and the Old Testament is focused on law or the Old Testament is focused on judgment and rules and regulations and obedience. But we forget the calls to obedience and faithfulness in the New Testament and we forget the fact that you find grace all throughout the Old Testament. The activity of God in our lives. Think of Israel. If that's not a constant and steady several centuries reminder of God's grace, the Exodus. God shows up in Egypt and says, Israelites, pack your bags, you're going home. What? Pack your bags, you're going home. Why? Because. Protecting his people and watching over them and providing for them throughout the wilderness wanderings. God's call to Abram before he's given the name Abraham. God's activity in our lives is found throughout the Old and New Testament and it's found throughout our lives as we experience God here and now and as he draws us, as he works in our lives, as we, as through, we call it providence, as he providentially works out situations for us. After all, why do we pray? We pray for God to get involved. We want God involved. To some extent, you know, and we don't want to meddle in too much, but we want God involved in our lives. And when Paul speaks of the grace of God, we, we so often get lost in the theological ideas of what is grace? How do we define grace? Very simply, it's God's involvement. It's God's activity. 
Grace is miraculous. It's supernatural. One of my, uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, philosophers points out, though, that even nature is supernatural because nature didn't. Grace, very simply put, this wondrous thing of grace is God's activity. It is accomplished in a variety of ways and through a variety of means. The, the church for several centuries has spoken of the means of grace. John Wesley even spoke of God's regular means. And those are the, the ways, the avenues through which God often works and typically works in our lives. Generally speaking, God works in our lives like this. Perhaps you heard the coffee was good. Perhaps you heard Lindsay restock the tea. Perhaps you showed up because God's been urging you. Perhaps you showed up because you had nothing better to do. Games don't start until the afternoon. You woke up too early. But God works in a variety of means. He works in our lives as we gather together. He works through Christian fellowship. He works as we read the scriptures. Whether they're in our books or on our screen, whether they're on our phone. Wrangling Topher and Lindsay has trouble holding her Bible, especially, you know, they're, they're, they're floppy normally. And so uh, she normally, if you see her on her phone, she's not texting. And if you see my phone, I'm recording. She's not texting me. Um, I promise. If you do, you're in trouble. <laughs> um, but God works in our lives as we read His book, as we read what He has revealed of Himself. He works in our lives as we pray. It's interesting that prayer is one of the hardest things, it's one of the hardest habits for us to develop. But it's one of those habits that as we develop it and when we develop it, it does marvelous things in our lives. There, there are even, in, even medical studies and medical opinions that praying people are healthier people, that spiritually connected. But God works in our lives when we go to Him and speak to Him, when we interact with Him, when we interact with His people, when we interact with His book. And there are a variety of other means of grace that, that the, uh, the church for several centuries now has spoken of. God works grace in our lives even when we go over to a disabled man's house and scrub his toilets. Amen. He ministers through us, to us, through our service even to others. After all, Jesus did say, what you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. And if we've done something unto Jesus, then certainly we're interacting with him. And he's interacting with us. God's grace, which is a, a wonderfully theological concept, us through a variety of ways and he works his grace into us 
through a variety of means. So none of us should ever get past this concept. None of us should ever get past the idea that God is at work in our lives and he's at work in our lives in a variety of ways and through a variety of capacities. Every day when we wake up in the morning, every day when we come across someone who aggravates us, every day when we, when we are touched What are you doing here? What are you trying to show me? What are you trying to do in me? What are you trying to do through me? Because God is actively involved. And His grace has a variety of expressions in our lives. As He ministers to us, as He draws us to Himself, as He does things in our lives, as He conforms us to the image of His Son, as He remakes in us His image... Through His grace, Paul spoke spoke of fruit the uh, the fruit of the Spirit as the 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 fruit that God wants through His Spirit to work in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. I've got to go through the tune. If you haven't heard the the, the fruit of the Spirit song, it's really odd. The kids have uh, been learning the fruit of the Spirit with Lindsay during their Bible classes. Um, and, and that fruit, while it's one fruit, it's one character, joy isn't peace. But all those, I can't speak of them as fruits because they're not m- multiple, but all of that fruit, that fruit salad, is uh, it's, it's a variety of, of things that God is developing within our lives. It's a variety of characteristics that God is putting within us. Uh, the scriptures speak also through Paul of the, the, a variety of gifts that God has given to his people. And he speaks of... of, uh, of uh, discernment and gifts of wisdom and mercy and hospitality. All of those variety of things are expressions of what God is doing in His people and among His people. And so when we look at the lives of others, we should not be surprised to see God doing something a bit different in their lives. Ultimately, he's taking us the same place. Very divinely speaking, because God has made us all differently and has wired us differently, we ought to not be surprised that God is is working on somebody's life a little bit different than he's working on our lives at the moment. Or that God has gifted someone else in a way that He's not gifted us. Or that God has, has brought someone to, to this idea, and yet He's brought us not to this conflicting idea, but a, a totally different thing. Because God is working with individual people that He... ...our lives in a variety of different ways, and that is developing fruit in our lives and expressions within our lives that are often different. That is kind of the backdrop of what Paul says here about unity. 
Because when Paul speaks of unity, the assumption, what's kind of written between the lines is that there is diversity. He makes it plainly stated elsewhere. In fact, he uh, when we read... According to the measure of Christ's gift. He goes on and he says, which is a beautiful passage because it, it um, I, I like it when the scriptures stump me and make me think, what are you going to make of that, Mr. Theologian? Um, he goes on, he says, therefore he says, when he ascended on high, and here's a little poetic verse, when he ascended on high, that is Christ, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. And then Paul gives his parenthetical statement, your English. Lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And then he goes on, he says, he gave some to be apostles, some prophets. He gave some to be this and some to be that. There's a diversity of expression of God's ministry in our lives through his spirit. He says that ultimately what God is doing is He is developing one people who are to love one another in unity. In fact, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says we're to grow up, no longer being children, thinking, why does he have that and I don't? Why does she have that and I don't? Why does, why does that one get to do that and I can't? He says God is doing something among His people. He is, he is uniting us together in the diversity of His work in our lives. And it's His plan. So when Paul speaks of Also of the motive of grace. And, and we might not like people with motives in our lives. You know, people that have agenda in our lives. But God has an agenda in our lives. He has a motive in our lives. He is taking us somewhere. There's a direction, a goal, an aim. We've been targeted. God is spamming us. He, 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 he sees potential in us. And He wants to realize that potential. And so the motive of grace, what God is making us to be what Paul calls his hearers in Ephesus to be. He says, I urge you. And he says, look, I'm, Paul, again, kind of parenthetically, look, I'm the prisoner of the Lord. I'm bound in chains for God's sake. And I'm urging you, I think Paul's kind of using that as a, as a point of leverage for them. I don't hear you whining about how tough it is to have unity in the body. I'm in prison. I'm under arrest. To which you've been called. Now we might look and say, that's impossible. Doesn't God know who I am? Doesn't God know my failures? Doesn't God know my troubles? Doesn't God know how messed up I've been and how messed up I am? Doesn't God know all that? 
How can he expect that much of me? In fact, we, we'll put it on our, on, our, on our bumpers, the backs of our cars. You know, don't look at me. Don't look, for, look at me for perfection. Don't look at me to... And Paul tells the Ephesians, basically, grow up and man up. Walk worthily. I'm saying worthily because the translation I, I, uh, I had up there was worthily as an adverb. This is an adjective. He, he calls us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that God has placed upon our lives. He's called us to Himself, essentially. And therefore, we ought to act like people who are in relationship with Him. Mentioning um, his sister Ruthie getting married in three weeks. She's getting married on a Saturday. I would expect that on Sunday, the following day, just the day after, not years after, not weeks after, not months after, but I would imagine even the very next day, she will be behaving like a married woman. And her husband will be behaving like a married man. God calls us to Himself. And then Paul lines out just a few, uh, a few of the, the characteristics, a few of the principles in our lives that reflect that we are walking in a worthy manner based upon the calling with which we've been called. Paul starts listening. He says, walk in humility, in meekness, in patience. And then he, then he uh, uses two uh, kind of participial phrases. All of these things, it's, it's, it's a laundry list, so to speak, of what God is designed to do in our lives. And these things, when we see them in the lives of others, ought to make us recognize that God's doing something in their lives. And Paul says, this is what it means to walk in a way that pleases God and walk in a way that is in relationship with God. Humility, not arrogance. Meekness. Um, short to anger. I think the New King James <coughs> says uh, long-suffering. Suffering long with one another. And then he kind of builds off of that Bearing with one another in love. Elsewhere, Paul says that we are called in Christ to forgive one another and to bear with one another because those two things sins against you. You bear with one another as they annoy you. There's not a one of you, I don't think, that has ever been around, maybe Leah, that has ever been around, uh, that's never been around somebody that annoys them. 
All throughout the New Testament, we have this calling to bear with one another in love. God is working in a variety of ways in this variety of people. There are going to be some people that we think they're not far enough along, or we think they're not quite what they should be, or we think God's doing a lot of great things in their lives, but, but goodness gracious, I just don't like being around that person. But God calls us to bear with one another. To be long-suffering and patient. So that we might keep Unity, as he says here. This is what God is drawing us to in our lives. And the interesting thing is we might look at our lives and see all these things at play. Man, God is doing great, great work in me. And others might look at our lives and say, well, not so much. He didn't seem like he's that patient of a guy. Up on the flaws in others, and it's easy to gloss over the flaws in our own lives. That's why um, I forget which, uh, which theologian in the church's history said it, but I think it might have been uh, Teresa said, um, said that we ought to be uh, more gracious as we see the sins of others and more harsh when we see our own. I'm paraphrasing there. I'm taking our lives and it's 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 easy to think we've all arrived here and it's easy to think no one else has but that's that's part of the uh, the perplexity in the the conundrum of the church that we're a diversity of people we're a variety of people and God is working in us and through us and among us to shape one another in this way and so Paul calls his hearers, and God calls us as His people to have this sort of He's placed upon our lives and He says, uh, Paul, Paul addresses why this is an issue. Because this is the way of God. This is what God has orchestrated. This is what God takes delight in. He takes delight in self-givingness. He takes delight in self-surrender. He takes delight in self-forgetfulness. The surrender of self. Life's not about me. Life's not about me and my, my competition with others. Life is not about me and me getting my way with others. Life is not about me and me looking good before others. Life is not about me and others being conformed to my standards. 
Life is about forgetting self And that's the way of God. In fact, God created us not so He would have somebody to serve Him. Not so that He might have somebody who would sing to Him and make Him feel better about Himself. Not so that He might have somebody who would just bring glory to His name. He created He created us out of joyous love to be in relationship with Him. To love Him. God delights in unity in the midst of diversity. Think of the way you speak of the world. What is the world? In one word, you might come to universe. What is the world? It's the universe. It's not just the earth. It's not just the solar system. It's not just our galaxy. The whole world is the universe. The universe. One word. And as we look about the universe as we look about just our parking lot. This, not even a speck within the universe, not even a speck upon the earth within the solar system and galaxy and universe. We see a rabid diversity turned a variety of colors. We see birds that fly by, all of them differently. We see snails and worms. We get annoyed by the bees and gnats and flies. But God has created one world. He has created one universe that is filled with billions upon billions of diverse things. It seems that God of unity. Um, he's given us Steady and constant reminders of the fact that He is doing wondrous things, that He enjoys diversity, and that in the midst of diversity, He longs. 
for a oneness. Not a numerical oneness, but a togetherness type of oneness. of a variety and diversity of members. Not every member is a hand. Not every, not every member upon the hand is the index finger. The arm is not the leg. The toes aren't the fingers. The nose is not the ears. There's a diversity, a plurality of parts, a plurality of roles, a plurality of gifts and abilities. And yet there's one body. And Paul speaks of there being but one body, the church. There is but one God, one Trinity, and you can't miss the Trinitarian language of this passage. He speaks of the Spirit, he speaks of the Lord, which is Christ. Jesus is Lord, and there is but one God and Father. And yet, in this Trinity of persons, we worship but one God who is. Um, writing in northern Africa said um, try to understand the Trinity and you'll lose your mind try to discount the Trinity and you'll lose your soul um, the, the, the Bible and church theology for 2,000 years have not tried to say oh yeah no the Trinity it makes perfectly logical sense it is simply declared, this is the mystery of God. This is who He is. Is Father, Son, and Spirit. Not fatherhood, not sonhood, not spirithood. But three persons. In one God. And that's an emblem from the church. An emblem that when we think of even who God is. We're not thinking of a single solitary person sitting around bored. Who creates us because he's got nothing better to do. We... joy, filled with love, longing for others to join in. And there's another emblem that I want to look at this morning, and that is Holy Communion. We'll be receiving Holy Communion at the end of our service. And as we think of Communion, we are reminded table, and there is but one meal. And yet, at this table, 
completeness. There is a oneness. Paul spoke to the Corinthians of one cup and one loaf. And he said, when you eat of this loaf and when you drink of this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till He comes again. And Paul here, in speaking of there being one body and one spirit, and he's called us in one hope, and he's given to us one Lord, one faith, one As there is but one God and Father of all, And He gives to us these elements. And He longs for us to receive them in unity and to walk in unity, having been sustained by them. But He reminds us as His people that to each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of Christ's gift. the Lord's Supper. What he was vehement about was their disunity and their fighting and their bickering and their backstabbing and their pitting of agendas and their neglect for others in their midst. Because what Paul was looking for was what God was looking for. He was looking for this unity in the Spirit through love. Through self-giving, self-sacrifice. What Christ has done for us, and we do this proclaiming His death till He comes again. We are one people. We serve one God. We celebrate one meal. And we do so in the unity of the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, as we look to Lord, we are delighted that you rejoice in diversity. Because, Lord, we look at our Lord, we're thankful, though, that in each of us, that you are working your character. The image of your son Jesus. That in each of us, another. Father, we're thankful for the unity that you 
invitation here. Lord, we're thankful for the joy that you've given to us in our diversity. We're thankful that as we look around ourselves, as we look among one another, that we see a variety of looking people, a variety of tastes, a a variety of interests, a variety of life experiences, and yet we're one people. elements. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts and prepare our minds for this meal. We pray that you would search us. As we sing, we pray that you would, through your Spirit, look into our hearts and see if there's anything that needs to be confessed, anything that needs to be rooted out. Lord, we pray that you would touch us where we hurt and heal us. We pray that you would touch us where we are diseased and cleanse us. We pray all of these things. In the name of our one Lord, Jesus, your Son, who for...